Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. That's because sometimes the things that have a major influence on someone's life will never show up on a resume, come up in a conversation, or show up on the internet. I'm your host, Antonio Neves, and I am a speaker, author, and coach. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. Now, this week's guest is someone I met a few years back from a previous guest on this podcast, author and speaker John Gordon. And let me tell you, you are in for a treat. Yogi Roth is a Pac-12 Networks college football analyst. He's an award-winning journalist, accomplished coach, New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and world traveler. His podcast, The Yogi Roth Show, Life Without Limits, is a must-listen. Now look, there's many, many, many more things to tell you about Yogi, but if I did, listen, we would never get to the interview. So we're going to get to it. Yogi Roth, welcome to The Best Thing. <laughs> Dude, thank you. This is the best thing. And uh, it's really cool to be on with you. And as you referenced when we met, that, that have no clue about that. And we went for a walk throughout Venice and Santa Monica. And you were just one of those guys that I was like, man, he he's super vulnerable. Like we talked about everything the first time we met. And I've always remembered that. And now seeing more and more of your content, uh, I'm really pumped. And if anybody who's getting exposed to it leans in, I think they're going to be just as excited. I appreciate that, man. And what blows me away about you is even just, I guess, the subtitle of your podcast, Life Without Limits. Because as I travel across the country and meet so many people, what I see on a regular basis are limits. I can't do this because of that. I want to pursue this, but there's excuse X, there's excuse Y. But when people read your bio, they read, they read your resume, they look at your travels, they look at your films, they look at all these different things. It, it, it is indeed a life without limits. And even before we get to the question about the best thing, could you just briefly, Yogi, just talk about your ethos, how, how you've chosen to approach life without limits? Yeah, man. Well, you know, it's, I think it's, it's easy to look at it at 38, which I'm now and kind of say, okay, yeah, this is how I approach every day. Because now, like, as we get older, I've read your books, or I've read John Gordon's books and other people you've had on. And you know, you're inspired and you learn and you have context in your brain to just handle the capacity of that. But when you're in it and, you know, you're six, seven, eight years old, 10, 12 years old, like you don't have any of those thoughts. You're just in it. And for me, I always go back to the simple upbringing that I had in Northern Eastern Pennsylvania with a mom who was a refugee, dad who was super into Eastern philosophy, but also was like a mainstream jock. And my grandparents were all involved in some way or another with the Holocaust. And my mom's parents are both survivors. And I can remember being seven years old, sitting at their table in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I had this teal cup and I'd drink ginger ale because it was like cool because you felt like kind of an adult. <laughs> and I would listen to both of them tell stories about their lives. And not to be long-winded, but both of them were on the run. You know, my grandfather got shot eight times and played dead for two days. He escaped the concentration camp. You know, my grandmother... Um, literally was walking home from school at the age of 12 and was told by her teacher, you can't go home because your family was just axed to death. Not, not just killed, but literally 
axe to death and she went on the run. So I always felt that I had this inner sense of like, dude, you know, uh, suicide drills and basketball or, you know, doing a hundred burpees in a row, like nothing was going to be even close. So I had this inner grit that I was like, dude, you don't even know, but I've got this secret sauce. That I really know what it's like to compete and strain and just find an edge and create one for myself that I never talked about till I got older. But internally, I knew that. And that to me always gave me an outlook of like, things aren't bad because you didn't get a candy bar or things aren't bad because you didn't get the extra toy at Christmas or at Hanukkah for us. Like it didn't matter to me. And I, nobody sat me down and said, Hey man, um, you've got this great lineage, like respect it. I just felt it. I remember very emotionally as a kid and I'm an introvert and a writer by trade. And I think that just made me develop a limitless approach to life of, yeah, I'm going to go walk on and play major college football. Yeah. I'm going to explore a bunch of countries. Yeah. I'm going to ask a random person for their number and she'll end up being my wife. Like I just felt like that's just kind of the beginning layers of the onion for me about going for it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And because I remember when you first shared some of that story a few years back on, on John Gorin's, one of his, his huge web summits. And I was blown away by that. And you know, what blows me away as you share that first, People, if they know you, to hear that you're an introvert, it will surprise them. And I'm always have to remind people that some of the most dynamic personalities you may see on television, you may see on stage, they may be actors, journalists, you name it. The vast majority of them, surprisingly enough, are introverts. I'm, I'm the exact same way. I think I let people down when they meet me <laughs> off of a stage. So they're like, yo, where's that guy that just lit people up? So I know what you're talking about in terms of being an introvert. But also as you're talking, one thing... I didn't hear you. You didn't say this directly, but you didn't ask for permission. Again, as I mentioned your bio earlier, you work in, in television. You, you've wrote, you've written amazing books. You've had films that I've been on planes on Delta that I could watch on the screen. You've written and produced a variety of series. I mean, all these what seems like dis, disparate things. But one thing that seems like you didn't ask for permission to do these things. You decided, like you said, to lean forward and dig in and, and take life up on what it has to offer. Yeah, thanks, man. I think, um, like when I think of the word introvert, it's defined often as like really shy, but it's also defined as really thoughtful. And I think because of somebody who's had a weird name, name being Yogi, who grew up in a tiny town, you know, with, with like the lone Jewish family, I referenced my weird name, my brother's gay, like nothing ever really fit. So I think there was a thoughtfulness to everything that I wanted to be around that I can look back now and say, yeah, that's that's the way you want to do it. And it began as a writer. I wanted to write. I wanted to explore. I wanted to share. I wanted to create. And then all of a sudden, the connections, as you know, happen. And now you're connected with a producer, a director, a network. And you're just learning on the fly. And you're like, oh, wow, the story thing is really cool. It's not just in my journal. You can create them even larger and even bigger. And I just think when you... For me, as someone who has always been thoughtful, even about my dreams of I want to play in front of 100,000. It's why I went to Pitt. I want to play against Notre Dame. I think I can start a major college football. They were thoughtful, purposeful, big ass ideals and dreams. And then I didn't flinch because I didn't have them anyway. So if I didn't go for it, I wasn't going to have it. If I did go for it and didn't get it, I didn't have it anyway. So it never really mattered. And that has always been something that's been an easy thought for me. So I've never felt like, yeah, I go for it. I've always felt like, what's the other option? Like, it's boring. Like, you might as well play big. Like, 
And I, and I got that really uh, clarified and crystallized when I worked at USC and I got to work under Pete Carroll, who, you know, his nickname, not to be inappropriate, is like Big Balls Pete, which is what they would chant when he would go for it on a fourth down. And he always reminded us that, like, when you get the opportunity to play on a stage, which in football it's 12 guaranteed a year, you better go for it. So even as a broadcaster now, I'll go for it on a prediction. I'll go for it with a call because why not? And I, I just think in everything, whether it's surfing or like you feel the fear and you do it anyway. And I think that's always been a something that's been a red thread throughout my life. That as I've gotten older, I found context. When I was younger, that that was just more fun, and and I always wanted to bet on myself. That's amazing. And of course, you know, you talk about life without limits. What I'm hearing you say is life on purpose, as opposed to how we see so many other people live life on accident. They end up somewhere they didn't want to be because they weren't intentional about the choices they made. And of course, you are intentional in living life on purpose. So now let, let's dig in a little bit to the question. Uh, of course, people, you're going to learn so much about Yogi in this, and I, and I you know, really implore you to go learn more about him. But for the purpose of this podcast, Yogi, what is one of those best things to ever happen to you uh, that isn't, wouldn't necessarily be one of those traditional markers of success? Yeah, there, there was a really fun question to ponder as I, you know, as we were exchanging and I've been tracking on your podcast, because I think back to like, you know, going to Pittsburgh and playing college football. And, you know, I can remember sitting on the couch with Pete Carroll and having a burrito and him asking me if I wanted to coach. You know, those are all like really fun. And I talk about those pretty regularly, but I I think it's really meeting my wife. You know, I I was up in Northern California at Stanford and San Jose State in spring football, visiting their staffs and their teams. And one of the coaches said, hey, why don't you stick over or, you know, stick around another night and we'll go out and, you know, have a glass of wine and have a bite to eat and just catch up on life. And I said, sure. And delayed my plane flight. And the next day I was remember so vividly, man, I was walking on the campus of Stanford, which, as you know, is as magical as any campus in the world. And I'm talking on the phone to my mom and I finally just kind of let go of this previous relationship that had crushed me for the first time in my life. Like I was, I was kind of broken to a degree and I just kind of shared with her what I was feeling and how I had gotten over it and gone through it. And I was ready for the next stage. And as I walked to the Oakland airport, I just felt a little lighter. And when I walked into the terminal and down that little, you know, gateway towards the plane, you know, you walk onto a plane and then you look right and you go, uh, you look down the aisle and I looked and I saw this smile and I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like I get to sit next to you today. And I just knew I was going to sit next to her. And uh, she was in the aisle and I sat in the middle and there's a guy next to me in my right. And I, and I, you know, for as introverted as I previously said, like I have met some really amazing people on planes and I feel like it's always fun to talk to who you're sitting next to, especially when it's at least for me, like someone I was dramatically attracted to. So I was like, Hey, how you doing? And she had her headset in reading fast company and she pulled out her right earpiece and she goes, good. And then put it back in. <laughs> and I was like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And uh, I went back again and I was like, hey, uh, so you flying home? She pulls out her right earpiece and she looks at me. She goes, yeah, put it back in. And the guy next to me is just clowning me like, dude, he's like, you need to slow down. Not interested. Take a hint. And I was like, I'm gonna go one more time because Amy is my wife's name now. Her smile um, is just so electric to me. I said, hey, uh, my name's Yogi. What's yours? And she took out both of her earpieces and she said, Yogi, how did you get that name? And I had an in and I wouldn't let her breathe for about 45 minutes, which was when we landed in Los Angeles. 
and ended up getting her number. And, you know, it took me about two months to finally get a date. But that day to me, for a guy who's been over 30 countries, travels almost every week, it, I just felt like looking back on it now with a little bit of perspective, like, of course, I was going to meet my wife on a plane. And to me, it changed everything for the guy who is single and always doing my own thing and hyper focused on me and my career to now shift to a family and a child and a growing family and all the stuff that you know much better than I uh, has been the greatest gift in every area of my life. And and that day, uh, it was, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was it was March 23rd. So, um, three years ago and it was, it was magical. Oh my goodness, man. You're giving me the chills over here as I listen to this for a variety of reasons. First, I'm going back to what you referenced at the top of the podcast about how you and I were walking in Venice early one morning and you were talking about relationships and you're asking me how I met my wife and what allowed for that and all those different things. And I just saw that you were in the space where you were craving you know, that, that, that partnership. And it obviously that didn't happen for a couple of years meeting Amy. So I just love hearing this and how it unfolded. What I also love is how initially she wasn't taking the bait. You tried a couple of times and, and I know very well when you meet someone and they just take that earphone out and then they put it back in that, that that's that subtle kind of con confirmation like, yo, uh, I'm not here to talk to you right now. I'm trying to read this fast company. Can't you understand? <laughs> So tell me though, because you're, you're a people person. You're one of those people that I know you can connect with anyone. And in your walk of life, you have to connect with all different types of personality. Yogi, what was it in that moment? I'm not sure if it was the closure you had from that conversation you had with your mother prior, but what was it in that moment when you saw that quote unquote electric smile that you decided, you know what? I've basically been shot down twice with the earphones <laughs> going in and out but I am going to kindly <laughs> persist. You know, I just, uh, I mean, how many times have you traveled or if anybody's listening and you're across the street and you see whether it's something or someone, you're like, I'm drawn to that. And we don't, and we, and we turn our back on it. You know, whether it was like, hey, I should shoot that jumper in a noon hoops game if you're playing on the weekend. Or athletically, there's an easy comparison, right? Like, do you, do you take the game winner? Do you pull up lame? I mean, do you have alligator arms as a wide receiver, which is basically not stretching them out because you're a little afraid of the moment? Or do you go for it? And and I've had a lot of those moments where I've been in other countries and I'm like, that restaurant looks really interesting. I'm going to go there and boom, meet somebody that I'm still friends with for life. You know, I, I just feel like intuition, and I feel this very strongly, man. Athletes, we're guaranteed two things. We're guaranteed to love because we fell in love with our sport. And we're guaranteed to have instinct because you need it to survive on whatever field or court you're competing on. So my instinct just said, go again. You know, I didn't have, I didn't think I was going to meet my wife on the plane. I didn't think I was going to meet my wife in that conversation. I had no clue what would transpire from that. But something in me just said, like, go again. And, uh, and I, and I did. And, and, and thankfully she, she took out both earpieces, man. But you no, know, it was it was a magical day, and uh, I got her back though. Don't worry. The first time we met and went on a date, my parents were in town, and I made sure she met them on the very first date, which was very awkward for her. So I, I made sure that uh, for the pain that she invoked on me with double earpieces and waiting two months, I had a little fun on the backside. Listen, that's a ballsy move, bringing your parents. That could have went so many different directions. But what you're talking about is something I like to equate to. I call it turning up the volume. I think back to when I began as a local news reporter. 
And one day I was in my news director's office and he was looking at reels that other reporters had sent him from all across the country. And to give you some uh, perspective, yo, this is when he was putting in VHS tapes. And he putting these tapes in and he would push play, then he would, he would eject it. He would put another tape in, push play, then he would eject it. And after a while, man, I realized something was off. And what was off is that the volume was turned down on the television. Mm-hmm. And I was like, boss, how do you know if you want to hire this man or woman or bring them in for an interview if you can't hear what they're saying? And listen, Yoga, you'll appreciate this. He looked at me. He smiled. He was waiting for me to stop him. And he <laughs> said, Antonio, I want to see if I want to turn the volume up. I want to see if I want to turn the volume up. And to your point, that instinct, whether you're in a foreign country and you see that cafe that just speaks to you, or you see that person that grabs your attention and you want to lean in and lean forward, you want to turn the volume up. It's it's that intuition. It's that gut, which unfortunately, I think so many of us uh, have been trained to do the exact opposite. We resist the gut. We resist the instinct for me, and I'm sure you know this, for me, when I feel that feeling, whether it's butterflies, that increased heart rate, those shaking hands, for me, like, oh, that means it's go time. Yeah, it might be a little bit fearful, but how can I frame this into some type of excitement? So you mentioned being an athlete. How important it is to have those instincts, and you have those instincts on the plane as well. How have you approached you know, leaning into your intuition? Because a lot of folks may lean into it or lean out away from it because of fear, it sounds like you approach it more with excitement, whether that's introducing yourself to your future wife or just life in general. Yeah. I can remember being a kid and I was obsessed with Jerry Rice. Uh, I loved the 49ers, even though I was in Pennsylvania, because they threw the ball all the time. And he was, of course, the best player in the league. He he, he might go down as the greatest player in the NFL, um, depending who you would ask. And one thing I always disagreed with him on, though, was where he would say, yeah, I'm driven by the fear of failure. And I, I never liked that phrase. I don't like that phrase. And it never sat well with me. And it took me a, a couple of years ago, I finally interviewed him and I asked him about that. But but for me, I, I've never been driven by the fear of failure. Um, I, don't, I don't really have a relationship with that thought. Um, I think failure is inevitable. I think it, failure is fun. I feel as though you need to. And when we feel the nerves, the anxiety, the anticipation, Um, We get to go one of two ways in my eyes. And I talk to quarterbacks about this all the time. You can either go down the road of, oh, my God, here's the big stage. It's a big deal. I'm feeling all these feels. Or you can simply just chunk that information and say, I'm switched on. And now we're alive. And I, I just think even mentally saying, I'm switched on. Like you said, it's go time, right? Or an athlete that you walk a sideline of any sport, you will hear at least a dozen times in every game or match. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Like people are getting switched on and I call it the wonder switch. It's almost like a light switch. Like you can turn that thing on and off, but when it's on, you better know know how to deal with it. It's like when that lion walks into that room, you better know how to pet it because it's coming in and it's going to be aggressive. It's going to be hostile. It might be in somebody else's backyard. You know, you get the sport analogies that I have right now, but for me, I've always loved and I seek being switched on so much in this interview. He's a great example. You're asking awesome questions. Not surprised. I'm switched on. I'll do other interviews where I'll motivate myself to feel switched on, but I'm not always elicited by the environment in that regard. But for me, that is a a, a feeling I love. It's why I hope to broadcast college football games live from the 50 yard line until I can't talk into a microphone anymore. 
because I am switched on when the light is on, when it's the only light in the stadium and there's only three people that have a microphone and there's a hundred people on the crew working their tails off and another couple hundred back in the home station, making sure everything's right and smooth. Like it's on. And I don't feel as though it's pressure when a million plus people are watching us every week. And I'm like, what a gift. I get to go teach football to this audience. Let's go. And, and I felt that since I was a kid so much that man, I didn't, the only reason I played football when I was younger, when I was in high school is because the most people went to football games. And then I mm. fell in love with it. I wanted to feel switched on often and I wanted the ball when it mattered. And, and I still do, you know, I mean, I, I still want the rock, when it matters, you know, and with the proverbial quote unquote rock, whatever that may be. So I just I just choose to look at it like that and and it it's way more fun. It's way more fun. What an amazing gift to to want the rock when it matters cuz not everyone has that. And I think there's something you and I have in common. I'm not 100% sure you know we have this in common, but we both were walk-ons in collegiate athletics. You in football, me in track and field. Uh, both of us went on to earn scholarships. I'm sure you got a full ride. I got about $1,000 a semester, <laughs> but it helped <laughs> regardless. Uh, so there's one thing to be switched on. And I see a lot of people out there who say, I'm just going to switch it on. But there's one thing to switch it on when you know you've done the required work that's required to know you can switch it on. So would you be willing to share a little bit about, I like to call it the walk-on mentality, because if folks don't know what a walk-on is, essentially you try out for a collegiate team, and if you make the team awesome, you're on the roster, but there are no guarantees. You are not on scholarship. You can be cut at any moment. So every single day you have to show up and give absolutely everything. So my hunch is you can switch it on because you can best believe before the camera ever goes live, that red light comes on. Yogi Roth has done the work and you and I actually had an interview and where and I'll, I'll actually put a link in the show notes for this where I interviewed Yogi for an Inc.com article where he talked about his prep to call a football game. And it's not an amateur level prep. This is big time. So I'm, I'm, I'm blabbing right now, but can you talk about the preparation and that, and that walk on mentality that allows you to switch it on? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a sickness is what it is, you know? <laughs> Because, and Pete would always say this, Coach Carroll would always say, like, you're either competing or you're not. Like, there, it's, there, it's very clear. And to me, I believe that you earn the right to compete or earn the right to play or earn the right to not play. And I work with people that bust their tail every week. And I've worked with people that don't and show up and collect a check. We all have in every walk of life that exists. And to me, the, the biggest thing as a walk-on is you can't compare yourself to the quote unquote scholarship athletes. I, I can remember when I got to Pitt, bro, they gave me, I walked in, they, they couldn't find my name. They couldn't find my locker. And then finally they said, Hey, oh yeah, Roth, you're in locker 106. I played football for a long time. Like I never saw a Jersey 106. You know? <laughs> and I went to locker 106, which was deep into the hood, like way in the deep <laughs> left corner. And I had a D lineman's face mask. I had size 14 uh, cleats and I was size uh, 11 and a half. I had uh, offensive lineman gloves. Clearly, I'm not an offensive. Like, everything was wrong. And I remember that day, I chose verbally, out loud to myself, like, Yogi, all right, cool. You're going to be in a relentless pursuit of a competitive edge here. And my mindset was, I just got to win my one rep a day. Because I was just getting one rep. And then one rep turned to two. I got to win my two reps. While the scholarship kids would be getting 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, the limitless opportunities. I accepted that I wasn't going to have many. So when I got him, I take advantage of it. 
And so much so, I played in my second game as a freshman, got on a, started as a sophomore, then got put on scholarship and beat out a boatload of scholarship uh, athletes. But I, I say that story not to make myself feel good. I, I say it because that mindset of just winning your one rep is how I still feel now. You know, when I think about my job as a broadcaster. I heard Colin Coward say this years ago, and it freaked me out. He was on the radio, and he goes, you know what? The hardest job in sports is a color analyst in college football. And I'm like, oh, no. What's he going to say? He said, you've got to come up with about two to 250 smart things to say about 15 seconds per comment in a three and a half hours time span. And I was like, oh, my God, I'll never be able to do that. And I've been doing it for about seven, eight years at the time. And I still kind of get anxiety around that big picture number and thought. And then I say to myself, dude, you just got to be connected. You got to be where your feet are. Give me one great comment. Stay connected to the game. Give me another one. Same deal as when I was an athlete. One rep, one rep. And, and I call the way that I can gain the freedom to earn the right to compete freely and trust what comes into my mind and comes to my lips and comes out through my diaphragm. I could trust that it's right because I do the lonely work. You know, I watch every snap. I talk to multiple players. I talk to the coaches. I track what's going on. And I don't do probably the same amount of work in terms of volume as I did prior to having a family, but I still do a high quality of it and make sure that, you know, I don't leave at least a stone for me unturned. And then I'm at peace with it versus cramming the day of the game, cramming an hour before it. Like I can't do that. I, I have to say, you know what, yo, it's game day, cut it loose. And I have a whole mantra that I guide myself through uh, in my you know pre-performance routine that guides me to the place where when the red light goes on and, and they say, you know, three, two, one, go. I don't ever prepare what I'm going to say. I just go and, and trust that whatever comes out is something authentic. Yeah, somebody told me a long time ago, winging it is easy when you're well prepared. Yeah. Which I believe 100%. And I, I, you mentioned Colin, Colin Cowherd, who is one of my favorite broadcasters. I listen to him on a regular basis, his podcast and his show. And I know you've had the opportunity, I think, to interview him on a few occasions. So next time you do, I'm showing up. Nice. You mentioned two words, man, that really popped out to me and you hit on it, but I'm hoping you could expand just a little bit more on the words lonely work and what that looks like and, and what it means to you. Yeah. Well, it's a total steal. I stole it from Kevin Carroll, who I know you love his work. He's uh, I have two guys I call my board of life and he's one of them. And he taught me that phrase years ago. And I just love it because it's not about doing, you know, boring things longer than the next person because that would be in the comparison game it's just about doing the boring things longer period that's how i define the lonely work like are you willing to watch third down cut-ups longer than are enjoyable are you willing to say yep that's a good thought but why and how and why and how and i'll try to why and how the daylights out of a singular question you know it could be why is this guy starting where did he come from why did he get there how did he get there why does he continue to work? How does he go to school? Like I can why and how you to death. And to me, that it's really simple in that regard. Are you willing to do the boring things longer? Period. Of this era, a lot of people are not. You know, it's it's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, it's not a comfortable thing to do, and it's not an environment where that is even a reality. Because the environment now is what do I want. I Google it. I find it in point three five seconds. Probably a hundred thousand options, and I go from there. Versus really sitting in it and being there and trying to be mindful with each thought. And that's something that I try to bring to my broadcasting craft. It took a while for me to get that. But when that lonely work can turn into real purposeful work when you're on screen and on air, 
that to me is where that's where I think is a differentiator. I think mean, there's a lot of people talking on TV. A lot, it's like a lot of quarterbacks are playing catch and not a lot of playing quarterback. I think there's a lot of broadcasters calling games, but not a lot of them broadcasting the game. And and I work at it. I'm not saying I'm the best by any stretch, but I do know that uh, you know, you got to love it and you got to do it. And you got to lean into it. And, and I try to, to do that and get coached up by my partners as hard as I can. When I listen to you, there's a consistent through line. Well, first that I see in all your work, there's a consistent through line, but I also see it whether I'm listening to your podcast, I'm watching you do an editorial on Pac-12 or beyond. What I hear from you, man, is a genuine, honest, real curiosity. It's like this curiosity about life, about people, about their story. I know you travel extensively. You've been so many different places. I think about the documentary you did with your your father, which is it's life, it's called Life in a Walk, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I see in you is this genuine curiosity slash appreciation for life and everything that you do, which I think if more folks would be interested in others and in other things and less about ourselves, I think we, we would go so much further and we would learn so much more. And I don't always see that, frankly, in a lot of other broadcasters out there, whether they're a, a college football analyst or a journalist. Would you agree that curiosity is sometimes missing from folks? Yeah, dude, there, there's this great talk that Elizabeth Gilbert gave uh, that my, my wife shared with me uh, last summer. And she talked about curiosity and passion. And all too often, and, and we may differ on this, I'm not sure. But I think a lot of times we're taught like, find your passion and then chase it with everything you got. And I was one of those guys that was like, uh, often defined in uh, Hollywood circles, maybe as you would say, yeah, Yogi's just in too many buckets, you know, we just got to kind of focus on and I hated that. And I still do. And I don't like the word hate, but it, I'll use it here. Uh, I, I'm a fan of jack of all trades, master of none. Like I, I'm okay with that. And oftentimes we're told and taught that that's not okay. And Elizabeth Gil Gilbert gave this talk where she gave a speech about passion. And this woman came up to her and said, I can't believe what you just said. I'm so disappointed. I didn't think you would try to put me in a lane and say, just find my one passion because I don't have just one. I got a lot of curiosities. And it made Elizabeth Gilbert step back and say, oh my God, like I'm way off on this passion thing. And yeah, it's right. Chase your curiosities. And maybe one of them leads to your lifelong work. Maybe one of them leads to something that you pour your world into. Maybe you just do one for six weeks, another for six weeks, and, and that's the way you live. And, and that's how I, I feel. So I'm, I'm so excited you said that word because I would hope that people that know me great or from afar would say, Yogi's a really curious dude. And, and that is a driving word in my life and every form of it, whether it's as a father, as a husband, as an entrepreneur, as a broadcaster, like I'm curious, I'm curious about human performance. And I used to get, try to be pushed towards find a passion, man. And, and I got a lot of them. I got a lot of things that I like, and I don't think that's, there's anything wrong with that. And, uh, and I went on that little diatribe because I think it's important because I talked to a lot of young kids that reflect the same thoughts of, there's a lot of stuff I want to do. Why do I have to just find one job? And, and I don't think you do. I think your job is to find what lights you up and what makes you switched on and then lean into that. Listen, you and I couldn't agree more on that curiosity is critical. I think during my 12 plus years working as a reporter, correspondent in New York City, if there was a strike against me, man, it was that I had a variety of interests. They could never say he's the business guy. He's the politics guy. He's the, um, uh, you name it, uh, the, the the local news kind of guy. Like I had such a variety of interests that I think sometimes it messed people up when I had those big meetings for the big jobs. If, if there's uh, someone in life that is, I think, 
under um, appreciated. It, it is in many ways that utility player, that man or woman that can step in into a variety of situations and excel and succeed. So no, we're on the same page with that. I want people to chase their interests and their curiosities could lead to one passion, but I don't want anyone to put those, those handcuffs on them. Um, Yogi, as we get ready to transition here, I want to go back to meeting your wife on that plane and that electric smile and her trying to tell you to leave me alone, homeboy. I'm reading this fast company. Something tells me, and again, when I think about a consistent thread in you and your work, and because I know you, I can say this, there's something about you that that's also, you seem very heart-led. There's an, there's an, an honesty in you. There is something about your heart, like you're a genuine good Dude, so it sounds like even meeting your wife in that moment, your heart had to be so open, probably from all those different, in a good way, from all those different experiences you've encountered in life and those different professional projects and all of your travels going all across the world and going off of the grid. Can you talk a little bit in this day and age about, you know, business and all that, about being heart centered at all and potentially how that even opened up that moment for you to connect with your uh, now wife? Yeah, no, totally, man. Uh, Kevin, again, uh, Kevin Carroll, he, he he said, Yogi, you might have a bunch of soulmates, but you got one heartmate. And he Ooh. told me that years ago. And it stuck with me so, so strongly, man. And Amy's my heartmate. You know, I feel like I've got a bunch of soulmates. I, I've met a bunch of them. Uh, but she's, she's the one person that I've given everything to. Uh, with that being said, years prior, I can remember I got offered to go to the Raiders as an assistant coach when Lane Kiffin was the head coach. And I remember I had an offer at the time to stay at SC, coach quarterbacks, or go to the Raiders. And, you know, I was going to be one of the younger guys. I was going to coach the receivers with Randy Moss. Like, it's pretty cool. It's the NFL. I think I was 24 at the time or something like that. And, uh, and I sat there on the beach, and I was like, everybody always says you got to listen to your heart. And I looked down. I was like, come on. What do you got? <laughs> like, where are you? What are you saying? And, uh, and it didn't necessarily talk to me in the way that I hoped it would in my early 20s. Uh, but now as someone who's a little bit older um, and has found his heartmate, I, I think we can really, again, I go back to instinct. We can feel it. You, it's like I always tell our, our little guy, Zane, I always say, hey, man, my, my job is to teach you the difference between right and wrong. Was that right or was that wrong? And he'll know, you know, and we're taught that as a young age. I think inherently we know what right and wrong is. And I think also inherently we know what love is, you know, because we come out of the womb with uh, the desire to love. We don't come out of the womb with all these thoughts and uh, stereotypes and ideologies. And, you know, we're not, we're not a, we're not negative, you know, for, I, I believe in that, you know, science may say otherwise, but I've never read anything to, to state, to state that. So I just think as an entrepreneur, as someone going for it, you know, you know, deep down, if you should double down, you know, deep down, if it's too risky, you know, deep down, if it's a, it's a slam dunk, it's just connecting to the voice amid the noise. So whether that's meditation, whether that's fitness, whether that's the ocean, whether that's sometimes I'll go for a walk without my phone and the amount of ideas that come into my brain when the device isn't even near me, it's tenfold than when I go for a walk with my phone. And I'll try to do that once a week. Or I'll go walk our dog and I'll just literally be like, I'm not bringing it. I'm just going, I'll be back in an hour. And my mind will just finally be able to move and they'll connect to my heart and I'll say, yeah, I should try that. That feels right. That doesn't. And you get to the truth of it. And, and I think that that's, uh, it's really hard to, to do uh, in our mind's eye. But when we do it, I think it's really easy to find like, yeah, the core of every decision 
is a really simple yes or no. We could probably find it in that one place in our upper left part of our chest. What a brilliant reminder that we can find it, yet it is our responsibility to be still. And in this day and age in constant communication, and as you just beautifully mentioned about putting the phone away, putting the computer away, putting Netflix away for a moment. I'm not saying you have to put it away all the time, but if we don't allow those quiet, still moments, that voice is just going to be knocking into the wind and, and we will never hear it. But I think that the, the thing is it's vulnerable. <laughs> those moments of being quiet, being still are vulnerable. And the magic, as you know, firsthand happens in that vulnerable, quiet space. That's why it's vulnerable. That's why it's a little bit scary, man. You've got me about to preach over here. Um, uh, first, I can't wait to interview Kevin Carroll. I'm getting him on this bad boy because you've referenced him a couple of times. Um, as we wind down, as I listen to you talk, I think about what some, something a good friend's grandfather once told him. And his grandfather told him when he was a kid, he said, live an interesting life because no one wants to talk to an old person who doesn't have interesting stories to tell. <laughs> and Yogi Roth, you are an example of a person living an interesting life that is living a life leaning forward, a life being proactive, a life not saying what if it doesn't work out, but what if it does work out, a guy willing to do the work to do the lonely work with the vast majority won't. And that allows you to live the life that you live. So I can't thank you enough for making time to be on this podcast. I'm blown away by what you've shared. I can't wait to sit down just one-on-one. Um, and just for our listeners, the folks that are here, if they want to learn more about you, your work, where's the best place we should send them? Yeah. Thank you, man. Um, you can just go to yogiroth.com or on all the social platforms. I'm just at Yogi Roth and I try to be active, um, as I'm growing the podcast and the content around college football and beyond. So any thoughts, ideals, questions, concerns, ways we can get better. Uh, well, I always like to say that I'm coachable. So, so bring them if you got them. I'm coachable. Well, thanks again, man. I look forward to doing this again real soon. Anytime, man. Congratulations. on everything. Got it. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.